The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Warren is a director at Galileo Capital. He's also a personal financial advisor and he's with us on The Money Show this evening. Financial success in retirement feels a bit like an oxymoron, really. It's one of those very few things that, one of those things that very few people ever succeed at. What is it? Six percent of people who retire will do so uh, in a lifestyle to which they've become accustomed or will retire successfully, something like that, Warren? Yeah, um, I, I always uh, g- give credit to my Fisher French for this because she says it's actually 6% of salary earners in South Africa <laughs> will have a, a measurable life, you know, decent lifestyle yeah. in, in, in retirement. So it's Good a point. tiny fraction of. What did I do? Did, sorry, did you talk over me there? I, I must no. have talked over you and then I cut you off. Um, so I won't do this <laughs> again. <laughs> For this show. So uh, so w- w- when we talk about my Fisher French, uh, she, she'll tell us that 6% of, re- of, of, of salary earners will get to financial freedom at, at retirement. So it's a, it's a really small number of South Africans in, in reality. So, so you're right. It's, it's, a, it's a very difficult thing to, to actually achieve. How do we ensure we become part of the 6% or grow the 6% to a bigger number? I mean, I think there are a couple of things. One that, you know, it's it's important to understand when you start living off your money, um, it's 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 a totally different dynamic psychologically than than when you're working for a salary and and you know people who are are you know built up capital and have capital to to to, to live off they, they find the first two to three years of of uh, you know their post working lives to be really stressful because the first big market drop that they experience and unfortunately we've got you know a whole new generation of people in that position right now that that, that first big market drop you know it, it it reminds them that when money goes out and when the investment values go down that they're not going to be able to get up tomorrow and go you know and and use their labor to to generate a, a replacement money so so what happens is the psychology for them becomes really, uh, I I guess, on point, you know, it becomes something that that almost is crashing in terms of pressure and uh, and often forces them to make, uh, I think, pretty poor investment decisions at the worst possible time of life. You know, when they should be most rational thinking, you know, most long term, they, they become incredibly short term in, in their time horizons uh, and, and hugely emotional. And, and unfortunately, logic and reason often go out the window temporarily. Uh, and and so, uh, I mean, I think the first thing is is understand that when you're in this position and and markets are going down, uh, almost the worst thing you can do is make a major change to your investment strategy. That that actually applies to pretty much all of us. You know, it doesn't matter if we're building up money or or, or living off our money. When markets are falling uh, dramatically. Uh, you know, m- making a, a kind of a complete change in, in your investment strategy is really uh, probably going to be the worst thing you could possibly do. In, in, in most instances, actually just staying the course and sticking to the strategy you had before the market drop will be most rewarding for you and, and making any changes will, be, will, will probably be punishing uh, to, to your investment returns. So if you are going to make changes, there need to be changes based on something changing in your life, not, not because of market conditions. And, and I think that's probably for me a, an absolute key point and a key mistake that I see people making in, in times like this is 
they, they, they just need, they need to take action. They need to do something because the markets are down. They, they have no control over markets. They have no control over currencies or uh, bond markets or, you know, uh, w- what's going on in terms of news flow. And so the only um, sense of control that they have is to change something in their own investment strategy. And, and most likely, if the investment strategy was good before the market crash, uh, the, the investment strategy was built for market crashes and, and therefore should not be changed uh, you, know, you know, almost under any circumstances and unless your own personal circumstances change. So, so I think that's a big one. Uh, Doing uh, nothing maybe, is the hardest action to take because, I mean, it, it, you think it's inaction, but actually it's an action because it's a deliberate decision to do nothing. Exactly. And, and you know, I, I mean, you, you know, our brains are not programmed to, to be calm and logical and rational in times of great stress. I mean, we, you know, you know we, we, when, we, when we kind of were, were, were being evolved in the wild, you know, the, 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 the reason we survived and the reason we're still here is because we had finely tuned uh, lizard brains that, you know, would, would either tell us to, to fight or to run. Uh, and, and those were really good instincts when, when, when you know, our, our lives were under threat. Uh, unfortunately, that fight or flight instinct is really not helpful when you're looking at investment markets and your brain is, you know, firing, you know, um, signals at you to say, well, you know, do something, take action, and you know, don't just stand around doing nothing, you idiot. Uh, but unfortunately, that's the that's the time not to listen to that part of your brain. You know, not the, the, the that's the part, the, the one time I think where, where you you kind of sit down and you say actually i need to kind of fight my base instincts and and try and just calm down let, let the rational brain take over and and understand what's going on and and then do nothing and and you know if uh, if you're in doubt sit down do nothing again uh, and keep doing nothing until until that kind of impulse drive is gone because unfortunately that impulse um, drive is not good for you at all in investment markets right okay so when there, I think there are probably a handful of factors that if we do a handful of things right, then we'll be better off than doing a handful of things wrong. What do we have to make sure that we get right in this process other okay. than when things are going pear-shaped, doing nothing, which is the hardest thing in the world to do? Yeah, and and then you can uh, uh, kind of curse at us when it's when it's difficult and it is hard and you're doing nothing, but well, but well done, you're doing the right thing most likely. So so I think the first thing is uh, you m- make sure that when you've got an investment portfolio and and you and you're living off that, you, you cannot be too cautious or too conservative in in the way that you invest that money. In other words overexposing yourself to cash and to uh, gold and and to relatively w- what might seem like stable assets uh, I mean it's hard for me to say gold is stable but but for some people they, they like gold but but those are assets that have no real history of beating inflation over long periods of time unfortunately that the assets that give you the the best likelihood of beating inflation over long periods of time are the ones that are most spoken about most written about and and generally the ones that uh, are most rocky and and volatile. So so we're talking about shares and 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 property companies, and and those are I would call them growth assets, and and certainly those growth assets 
give you a really good return on your on your money over long periods of time and and possibly a heck of a ride over short periods of time but but that's the thing that you need to make peace with before you start investing and then make sure that you've got you know you've got sufficient exposure to those and and sufficient exposure just to kind of give you a range is you know i i think if you've got less than about 35 or 40 percent of your investments in growth assets you, you you've got certainty you've got a very stable very predictable portfolio but most likely a portfolio that's not going to beat inflation over long periods of time. So you have to have more than more than 40% in growth assets. And in fact, you know, look at the pension fund laws where they tell you, you know, you can have a maximum of, of 75% of a pension in, in growth assets. I think that's a very good benchmark. It's a very rational, very sensible benchmark and, and, and applies to almost all of us. So your range is 40 to 75% in growth assets. And then you've got to stay in those growth assets uh, when things get uh, get rocky. So so to me, that's probably point number one and the most important point. The the second, which is a a drum we both like to beat, uh, you've got to keep your costs at a reasonable level. You can't can't be oblivious to what your investments cost you. You you need to understand that costs, uh, paying a fair fee for, for fair service and fair implementation of your investments is right paying too much money. Unfortunately, all you're doing is you're making the financial services providers and their shareholders rich and and, and giving yourself a very poor chance of, of getting a good outcome over your retirement. So you must focus on fees and understand what you're paying. Uh, and, and, you know, don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. You know, the, the, the number you're looking for you know, the jargon in the industry is total investment charge, TIC, and, and that's the number you need to understand. And, you know, if that's over kind of 2.5%, you're paying too much. Uh, ideally, below 2% is a good number. Is that total investment charge manipulatable? That's a new word. Um, it, it can I say <laughs> it's a total investment charge excluding five charges um, that are so small we don't put them in, but it is, you know, because we've seen Schlenters around charges for an awfully long time is total investment charge now the industry standard is this what is there is a, a an absolute requirement of everybody to make this disclosure in exactly the same way so there can be no ducking diving and obfuscating yeah um you know that's why you you get paid the big bucks in your role because you know you can you can spot the the smoke screen so so there is a smoke screen in this and and, and you know the, the unit trust industry is pretty transparent nowadays, and and they adhere, I, I think, very well and 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 very strictly to this TIC. But then you go and look at the beloved insurance companies, and and they they don't like that number, so they'll use something called a reduction in yield or or some other kind of a smoke screen, and then they'll say to you, you know, that you know over one year your 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 you know your costs will be one you know one number, but over five years if you stay in it might be a smaller number. So so unfortunately, it's not absolutely transparent. But but I think when we're dealing with pure investment investments, especially in the unit trusts or shares or exchange-traded fund space, then uh, I think TIC is a good measure and and certainly one that you can, you know, you can rely on fairly well, Bruce. I would like to have an attic number, absolute total cost of investment <laughs> or whatever it is. Oh, my goodness me. This uh, the, the, There are just so many, too many nooks and crannies to hide in. Uh, Warren Ingram, our guest this evening on a Thursday night. He is a personal financial advisor and director at Galileo Capital. Tim has sent a lovely question. Thank you, Tim. Uh, I want to start investing directly offshore. I hear people talk about an allowance you can use for this, while others talk about needing SARS approval. 
Could you please provide more detail to clear up my confusion? Good question, Tim. Good question. Good question indeed. Uh, we will get Uncle Warren to explain in a moment. The Money Show. Personal Finance with Warren Ingram. Tim wants to invest directly offshore. I don't know if that means go and buy individual shares or it means going to buy investment trusts or go and buy unit trusts or anything like that, Tim. But we'll discuss the principle. Um, offshore allowances, when do you need SARS approval? Tim needs details, Warren. First things first, let's talk about the allowances and the amount of money that you are allowed to remove from the country without asking anybody any permission. So, so the the um, SARS calls those the single discretionary allowance, and what it, what SARS allows us to do is, in a calendar year, so f- f- from one Jan to thirty one December, we can send out a million rand a year under the single discretionary allowance. We we don't need to apply for any permission to do it. What we are required to do is to do it through a foreign exchange dealer. And, and, and you know, pretty much all the banks in South Africa are foreign exchange dealers. And then there are a whole lot of additional companies that specialize in, in sending money overseas. So, so what happens there is that the foreign exchange dealer is, is, is keeping record and informing the reserve bank that you have used a, a portion or all of your single discretionary allowance. And so that's how they track that you, you know, you're doing up to a million um, as a maximum uh, in a year. Important to know with that single discretionary allowance, it's also what used to be the old travel allowance. So th- this is it does cover things like your, you know, your your hotel, um, your, you know, um, any credit card spend that you incur o- overseas as well. So if you're going to invest money overseas in, using the single discretionary allowance, great way to do it because it's it's much quicker and much more efficient for you to go to go through. But just remember that uh, you, you know that means you can't use the whole million rand if you're going to to invest overseas. Okay. Uh, sorry, so, to travel overseas as well. So if you've ordered some stuff on Amazon and you bought somebody a gift from Harrods and had it delivered to their home and that cost a hundred pounds. So that's 2000 Rand. Um, and then you bought something on Amazon for a thousand Rand. Suddenly you've only got uh, 997,000 Rand left that you can now play with. And then you decide to take an overseas trip and that costs you a hundred thousand Rand. Now you've got 897. Uh, and then that's all you've got that you can now invest because your total allowance is that million rand. If you go over it, your bank is reported is required to report you to the Reserve Bank to say Warren's being naughty, he's taken too much out the country, and um, or to stop you taking any more out the country. They're like the the traffic cops, if you like, of the Reserve Bank in this case. Exactly right, and 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 usually what happens is it it might not be uh, be flagged immediately while you're trying to do that transfer, but. But uh, the, the record keeping is good, and and so you, you know then you get a polite inquiry from your bank saying we've had a uh, not so polite inquiry from the Reserve Bank, and we we uh, we all need to now go and please explain ourselves, and you, you need to know that as an individual you can't go and blame. The bank. Uh, I mean, the, the responsibility is yours to keep track of, of of the money that you send out, and and it and it also doesn't help you to then go through five banks uh, to, to do this and hope that no one will catch you. Um, anecdotal evidence is that you certainly do get caught, and and then you you, you have a lot of explaining to do. Uh, and so so just don't you know don't put yourself at risk if you know you you're going to travel. Then rather you know at the start of a year, if you are going to use the, the discretionary allowance. 
start with you know seven or eight hundred thousand, whatever it is that you you know you will um, you will you will not spend too much money uh, on your travels, and then towards the end of the year you can say, well, actually I didn't travel at all, or you know I only spent fifty thousand on travel. I've got an extra you know two hundred or two fifty thousand that I can use in my discretionary allowance, and and you know that's a way to to manage that. You also, you know, b- between a husband and wife, for example, that that means you can each do do a million rand as well, uh, and you know, it applies to everybody um, over the age of eighteen who are South African. So, so you know, it, it does end up being quite a lot of money, uh, you know, per family, and and certainly, you know, over a period of time, you know, a very easy way to go. So. If I'm Tim, um, you know, and I, I want to get my money out reasonably quickly without waiting for SARS and all of that, th- this would be the way to do it. W- one very important point is it is still an asset that you own, and we do still have a, a tax regime which which is based on where you live. So the fact that you've sent this money out, uh, you, you need to put it into your tax returns in the future as an asset that you own. And if you're earning interest or dividends or anything like that, you must declare that uh, in, in your tax returns. Otherwise, you're going to make SARS unhappy and and not just the, the, the Reserve Bank, you know, who might still be fine with everything. And and b- believe me, you really don't want to upset SARS nowadays. So so make sure that you keep your your record clean on, on, on the money that's gone out and, and a clear track record in your tax returns. And we saw what happened yesterday with Marcus Eusti. He makes make the Reserve Bank unhappy and it might take them five years, but they will spend, as the Reserve Bank governor told us this evening, a huge amount of money to hunt you down and follow their rights in this particular matter. And then, of course, if you've won the lottery and you decide you want to take 20 million rand out, there is a process, but get some professional help with that, I would think, because, uh, you know, it's just ensure that you do fill in all the boxes correctly. You can do it and the mechanisms to do it, but you need permissions and you need to declarations and paperwork for that, Warren, just in 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah, so, so you're allowed to send out 10 million rand a, a year, and that's uh, that. Just to complicate things, is not necessarily in a calendar year. It's in a 12 month period from when you when you start the application or when you get your first approval, uh, and and it is quite a complex uh, kind of reporting thing. So I, I, I would suggest you do use a tax advisor to help you with that. But but SARS uh, and doesn't have a problem with you sending the money out. They just want to know that you, you legitimately earned this money, and it's not you know that you've declared a thousand rand a year of income for the last decade, and then suddenly. You send out ten million rand. That, that's what that, that that's the problem that they, that you're going to face then if you if you've been doing that. But otherwise, it is a little bit of a process. But then you can use the full twelve months to to send that money out as you wish. So so not a bad process to go through. Just you know, a painful paperwork and a few weeks of of hassles. Thank you very much, Warren Ingram. As always, Warren, a director, Galileo Capital, personal financial advisor, wrapping up with Tim's question this evening to the Money Show.